0: Hi, this is Tim Winter. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? A digital conversation exploring the leadership experience. You can listen to it at timwinner.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? A podcast exploring the leadership experience. I have got Ben Rigsby, a longtime friend, uh, uh gosh we've worked together in a, in a couple of different areas our paths have crossed uh we met each other at hollywood video and uh i'm just really excited to have ben in the studio uh, ben is a principal at kinetic retail group and uh he plays and builds and works with robots so i'm really excited to explore some of that uh but uh, more importantly just uh i I will here's one caveat ben rigsby is the smartest person i know um and i've always really really respected his intellect and um i'm really looking forward to to chatting with him today so ben welcome to the show thanks for having me tim i really appreciate it yeah i i I, listen everyone always says that but i always i can't tell you how much i appreciate people being on the show uh I, i one thing i never you know, it's, it's never easy to get guests and people are busy and I get it. And, you know, they're like, ah, oh, why do I want to be on this show? But I really, really do appreciate people's time. So, uh, what have you been up to? What are you doing these days? Tell me about um, these robots.
1: Yeah. Building robots, right. Getting in good with our, uh, future overlords. No, I'm, um, I, uh, I got out of, um, big corporate, um, retail seven or eight years ago and started working with, uh, self-interactive kiosks. So you know the uh, uh, what ATM started, and then you know went into you know Redbox and Coinstar, and um, just in the last um, year, sort of reformulated that uh, company. So it's uh, myself, and I've got a couple of partners, and we have a staff of engineers, and we are we specialize in sort of I'll call them complex um robotics so we are will drop in anywhere in a product life cycle but what we really like doing is finding um motivated entrepreneurs that have a you know an idea on the back of a napkin for something crazy that, that could turn into a, a self-interactive robotic kiosk and taking the the design on the napkin and turning it into something that they can actually um put out, uh, to the public and, you know, surprise and delight and make some money at the same time.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about the explosion, I love the little, uh, timeline you gave with, uh, from the ATM to, you know, now just about everything, not everything, obviously there's always going to be something, but, uh, uh, there's a lot of products that you can buy now through a vending machine. I mean, and that's using that term, you know, loosely, but you see them all over the airports, How different is it? Like it's, it's relatively new in Western culture, but I know like in Europe and in parts of Asia, they've been using kiosks and uh, mechanical distributed products for a while. Is that, is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, definitely. And the um, it's, I think it's perfect that you kind of brought that up in two different, you know, specifically in Europe and in Asia. And, you know, there's, there's a number of different reasons that people would want to um, use a kiosk. And I think particularly in Asia, it's really about being able to get a product in a location that you otherwise wouldn't. So you know the the first big explosion of vending machines, and they really were this at that time were, Principally in Japan, where you know getting the square footage for you know a shop to do just about anything was astronomical. So, you know, being able to change the capital structure required to be to you know operate a retail business, um, the the kiosk really you know helps you out there. So I can put a you know a, a sandwich machine in five square feet as opposed to you know opening up a you know five hundred square foot deli in a you know Tokyo. Um, commercial uh, real estate rates, that's a, that's a game changer. So, you know, and um, what we're starting to see now, I think in addition to being able to collapse the, um, the uh, financial structure and make it more profitable is actually modern technology being able to do more things. So, you know, instead of just being able to dispense a soda or, uh, you know, uh, a sandwich or whatever it is, you're seeing, you know, robots that'll do uh, just about uh, anything, you know, bake a pizza or dispense pharmaceutical products. So it's it's neat to watch the growth.
0: Yeah. Do you guys... So you're all retail-facing, though.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure... I mean, you know me. I've been, you know, in retail or retail in Jason my entire career, and I wouldn't want that to change. And I think that's actually... Um, a lot of the value that KRG and certainly myself provide is that background in retail. At the end of the day, it's still consumers wanting to buy um, buy a product, and it's much closer to the actual, you know, bricks and mortar retail experience than it is to the online experience. That gets, you know, the online experience obviously has gets a lot more attention these days, but this is, it's much more, even though there's a, you know, a sophisticated robotic machine in the middle, it's, uh, it's much more like old school, um, uh, retail than anything else.
0: Yeah. Because you're looking at the geographics of the area of where the kiosk exists there. I mean, it's like a storefront.
1: It is. It you you
0: got to buy products that are going to be, you know, conducive to that area. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like a store. I, I remember it's, we're talking about, I remember having this conversation when Dave was working with um, Redbox and he was like, you've got to think of these stores. Maybe it was Blockbuster Kiosk. I don't remember. NCR was trying to do the same <laughs> model, but I remember he, him trying to drill it into everybody's head that you had to think of these as stores. These are like storefronts. Yeah. You, you cannot just buy them and spread it like peanut butter. You've got to buy, you've got to think of them as stores. That's interesting you say that cuz I I I agree with you 100%. So, so Ben, how long have we known each other? 20 years?
1: Um, at least. I think it may even be more. Let's see. I uh I was I came to Oregon probably would have been when I met you or not, maybe even before then in 98, I think. Wow. Yeah.
0: So how did you, you know, I think I know, but how did you, I think our past were similar. How did you start at Hollywood?
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. Um, since uh, you invited me on and I started thinking about this, I definitely did some digging in my past that I hadn't thought about lately. So I did, I did track that timeline. We um, So I, I went to school in Boston and I got, um, I got a degree in religion. So obviously I was highly employable, um, (laughs) uh, after that. And then I, um, but I, I'd worked in a, in a video store, um, in Boston, it was a chain called video Smith, which is kind of one of these, you know, legendary big city art house kind of places. And I enjoyed it. And then I, uh, followed my girlfriend at the time out to Utah. And, you know, like I said, I didn't, you know, I didn't have great prospects for employment. And I'd spent a while actually looking for, you know, any job. And then I answered a newspaper ad for this new video store chain that I'd never heard of called Hollywood video. And this is in 94, I guess. And I, um, I got a job as an assistant manager wearing a cummerbund and a bow tie, getting paid like $1,100 a month, you know, (laughs) to work a bazillion hours, right? That's how it worked um, at a video store on the other side of town, but it was, um, it was fun, you know, even, even kind of the downsides of that, you know, building something new. And I, what I didn't know at the time, which is, you know, uh, where this really all kind of goes was, um, they had me in mind to run, they were going to open this. I think they were kind of thinking of it as a flagship flagship store in downtown Salt Lake city. So they had me in uh, mind to, Um, run that store which coincidentally was the store that um dave was gonna office out of Ah. so um the i think that there were you know the other store managers and district managers were a little bit nervous about who is it that's going to run this store where the where the big boss is going to be so um but i ended up yeah i ended up um running that store in Salt Lake City where Dave officed out of. So I think, you know, at the time that, you know, I was in Hollywood, I probably saw Dave more frequently than anybody else, um, at Hollywood. And I got a nice, you know, the the relationship I had with him was, um, I, I think was, uh, unique and interesting. And then I, he actually, I guess, sponsored me out of there. And I came to the corporate office in 98. And I think we probably would have crossed paths then, I also, you know, when I was thinking about this, I actually remember that I um Dave and I and some other people actually did some store visits on the East Coast. And I had dinner at your house in Virginia many, many years ago.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh Ashburn, Virginia. Yeah. I remember that. Gosh, that that's going way back. <laughs> yeah. How, that was a that was a lifetime ago. Well, you know, I started in ninety three, and I was on the the you know team Salic, and uh, worked for Frank Salic. And you know, I started at the uh, at the uh, Rose City store, and then they quickly moved me to the Beaverton store. And Kevin Haslin had left the Beaverton store to go run the flagship Stadium store. And, you know, back in those days, everybody had a a corporate job and then you had to run a store. And so Kevin was our buyer, but he was running this massive, big two story showcase that Mark brought every investor to. And, you know, Kevin didn't want to be a store manager anymore. Uh, He was a great product guy, he wasn't a great operator. He'd say that today. And, uh, And so they moved me from Beaverton. Over to, uh to stadium. And that's when Mark Waddles would bring in all I remember when he brought in Max Frato. He brought, I mean, almost every investor would come into that store. And uh yeah, that's that's how I that's how it all started for me. And then I remember going to um well I started doing the acquisitions and uh went down to Texas and did uh, Video Central and then yeah. So so when you left Salt Lake, when you left the stores, you went right into the office and you were in the buying department, right? You went into product?
1: Yeah, I went in as the most um junior analyst, I think, that existed at Hollywood. It was funny, actually. So I I was I'd managed that store in Salt Lake City for a couple of years, and then I I split up with the the girlfriend at the time, and I think Dave probably knew before I did that I really wanted to get out of Salt Lake city. Yep. So there was some combination of Dave and Rick Mullinex. And I think a couple of other people who had, you know, kind of discovered this opportunity at the, at the headquarters to, um,
0: but, but didn't you
1: also build out
0: like the foreign section and wasn't your film knowledge pretty, I mean, didn't you like, you ran a damn good store if i remember like you, like you knew your catalog you knew you knew how to buy product for the store they leaned into you wasn't there some connection like that too that you yeah just- ab- absolutely
1: so we had um uh you know you don't normally th- the, the the store that we had in salt lake city was kind of over near the you know the university and the surrounding campus so it was you know it's a pretty yeah People don't say normally say the cosmopolitan section of Salt Lake City, but it you know it definitely was, and so we had so yeah I spent a lot of time and you know I mentioned I was at I you know worked at this chain in in Boston that was sort of famous for this, and I had you know kind of had that same idea, and I did you know the the further along in the the business I got, I watched fewer movies, but I was definitely uh, you know movie aficionado at the time, so yeah we built up our our foreign section and it was kind of funny actually and you know again i pull it back today but this was one of the sort of balancing acts with him he was very he was supportive but i definitely got some side eye on you know you know why you know why did you just install this star trek section across from my office (laughs) Um, um but yeah no so i i went to uh i went to the corporate office and you know i was kind of this junior analyst for a while and then they actually gave me the the whole catalog business, and that was the first—that was the first management role that I had at the um, at the Hollywood um, headquarters, and that was so my focus for quite a while.
0: I remember at the Stadium Store, you probably remember this too. Steve McGummy was also very much a videophile, and I remember we had <laughs> Mark Wallace came in one time, and he's like, "Tim, why the hell do you have a half bay?" Of reservoir dogs still on your new release wall? <laughs> I go because they're all running. <laughs> yeah, look where we're at. Yeah.
1: yeah, especially in those those early days,
0: right? Um, that was VHS. There were,
1: yeah, there were some really good um uh movie files in there, and and you know even if you go back today and look at you know uh there was a. Uh, uh, a lot of those people are still in that you know that we worked with are still in that film business in one way or the other there was a guy that I hired actually as kind of a junior analyst in the catalog business you know twenty five years ago and he's now he is a film buyer for uh you know the 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 lead at a you know an indie um studio I mean it's there were some really passionate yes, people who absolutely do what, what they were doing yeah
0: oh absolutely and you know back in the day you know, we were the reason and, and the reason Hollywood grew so fast was, you know, we had those rules. Now they had to go away eventually. Do <laughs> you remember the, the $250 budget every store manager had to yeah. buy? <laughs> I think you were the one who got rid of that, but, you uh, or maybe it just got too big, but you know, you, well, you couldn't trust people anymore. You know, they were buying stupid stuff and, um, stuff they liked, but back in the day when it was, when it was real, or, or you could go to the warehouse as a store manager and you could fill in your category because you knew. But we wanted to create that kind of ownership. And I think that's what made the experience so different for the consumer compared to, you know, the homogenized, what you were getting, uh, the homogenized cal- uh, uh, catalog at Blockbuster.
1: Yeah, we always, you know, the, until the day I walked out the door, we I'll tell you, we always had a side list. There were, there were a, a number of store managers who just had to ask particularly on the catalog stuff so that was always i i really liked that at hollywood you know despite being this you know behemoth of a chain with the you know store day and everything we had a much better differentiation of product than you know certainly blockbuster but any of the other even kind of medium-sized chains yeah, so that, uh, that felt very good
0: well marco what's what's that? Good? i don't care I, if they come in one time a year, I want them to be able to find the movie they want. Yeah. And, you know, that was an ambitious goal, but it really was a differentiator in the business. So, okay. So, so then you pretty much stayed in buying and ended up climbing the, the, the ladder in the buying department. And I know eventually, I I don't know, you weren't, you the top guy.
1: Yeah. I, um, yeah. I, 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 almost closed the bar that was, um, Hollywood video. Um, I, uh, let's see, I ran, like I mentioned, I ran the catalog business and then I shifted over into more sort of the new release. I actually developed all of our, um, purchasing and, uh, allocation, uh, methodology. Um, and I'd say 2005 or so. Yeah. I was the, um, you know, the senior vice president running, running the whole, you know, buying, uh, you know, a billion dollars worth of product a year. It was heady stuff. Right.
0: Who was your district manager? Was it, um, <laughs> was it Steve Bush or was it, uh, oh, the uh, uh, Julie, um, Julie, she was a I, blonde Yeah, I went,
1: I went through a couple. Um, um, Steve was, was my DM for most of that time. And certainly my favorite. Yep. Um, I have a Julie Peterson. Yes. I, yeah, never, I never worked for her. I had a, so in the very early days, this was sort of pre like the first DM I had was like covered, like, you know, the whole Southwestern United States. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and then I got, and then um, started working for, Um, Steve and then we had some uh, a couple of people in Utah who were sort of I guess half district managers and of course you know I you know one of the nice things about um, DMs and me was the fact that Dave was offer you know officing in my store so I was certainly getting some feedback and constructive criticism on a regular basis so yeah I think people were DMs were more worried about how they looked to dave when they were in my store necessarily than how my store looked i mean and again my store you know it it ran well so it was you know that made things um a lot easier but I, somewhere i've got a picture of um steve bush uh, lost a bet to me and i he had to work a friday night in a cummerbund and bow tie at my store and i've got a picture of that somewhere still
0: <laughs> so dave was your dm
1: Dave was, Dave was the, well, I mean, I think when I got there, he was the, he was the regional manager, but at that yeah. point, regional manager meant, I don't know, there were like two regional managers in the country or something, you know? It was, yeah. We had to give Dave that title.
0: I remember I was the first district manager who didn't have store responsibilities and Mark, Mark Waddles was like, well, what the hell is he going to do all day? Cause every district manager, we had area managers. It was, um, it was, uh, Mark Stagger. Russ Rep, Mike Lamont, Mark Brands. Kevin was the buyer,
1: <clears throat>
0: Kevin Hasland, And then they brought me on and it was Frank Salek was the VP of operations. Yeah. And that's what ran the, and I remember I was taking over. Mike Lamont had left the company. I think Kevin had gone into the office. Maybe Mark, I don't remember. Mark went maybe to Texas and, um, I was going to run. And and so I had all of Oregon and I couldn't continue to run the stadium store. I mean, it was just impossible. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget uh, Mark saying, well, what the hell is he going to do all day? And then when I left the company, you know, we had 300 and some odd uh, district managers.
1: Right, right.
0: So it was just the evolution. Those were great days. I mean, you know, I, I feel like I got my education in, at Hollywood. I got an opportunity to do a lot of cool things there and, and met you know, lifetime friends. I mean, people to this day who are some of my, well, uh, my best friend in the world I met at Hollywood. And uh, here, this is serendipitous for you. So when I went to Dave's celebration of life, we checked into the hotel and although it had changed names, it used to be embassy suites. It's now a Hilton garden in downtown Salt Lake city is where I interviewed Dave to join Hollywood. And I had no idea. But when I walked in, I had a vibe. I was no. like, I've been here before. It had changed. It had been remodeled. And I was like, I had been here before. And then I walked in and I saw that big opening and the elevators that are, you know, uh, customary to a, a, an M- 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 NBC suite. And I was like, oh my God, I interviewed Dave here. And I was there for his celebration of life. That was weird. There were a lot of weird things that happened on that trip then.
1: Yeah, I... um. When I interviewed for my job, I went in for the, um, for the second interview with the, the woman who was the store manager when I was assistant manager, but this is, I interviewed with, with Dave for the second one. Um, and I do know that it was at a blimpy sandwich shop in West Valley, Utah. I don't know whether or not that sandwich shop is, uh, is still there, but, uh, <laughs>
0: you know, I, I guess I didn't realize that you had such a, uh, uh, a that close of a
1: relationship that you worked that closely with Dave. Well, so it's a you know, I, I think a lot of people probably had much closer relationships with Dave. you know it was there was no time when I was in Dave's hierarchy that he wasn't at least two rungs ahead of me, right? So right. I got a lot of the the value of knowing Dave. Um, but it was much more, um, how do I say this casual than if he was my direct boss. Right. I mean, you know, Dave, it's not like he's going to walk in the store and not tell me how he thinks about something, but it's
0: (laughs) in the nicest possible way.
1: Right. But it's not, um, it wasn't like it was his job to do it. You know, I mean, he, he, he respected his DMS enough that it was, you know, that they needed to you know to do some of that and so it was you know I you know a standard you know thinking back about this so you know as a manager you know Monday mornings was Sunday or Monday mornings was usually the time where you know you came in on an early morning shift you had a a CSR there working behind the counter and you did all of the weekly you know cash reconciliation and the reporting and setting up the schedule and stuff so Basically Monday. you know, I had this routine for Monday morning where it'd come in Monday morning and he always played the um the um Ken Burns Civil War series on the monitors. Okay. But, which I don't know, was weirdly comforting, you know, to hear Shelby Foot, you know, in the background talking about the, you know, the ghosts of Gettysburg or whatever. Um, and you know, I'd be in my office and th- that was usually a day that you know, Dave was usually, he'd usually travel midweek, I think. So, you know, we'd kind of both be in the office at the same time. So there was a, you know, a little more of a, uh, you know, not a, you know, uh, a personal workplace, you know, kind of relationship, but, you know, definitely, you know, saw him every, you know, every week and, you know, a couple times got the, you know, the value of the feedback understood how he worked. And, you know, one of the things that that sort of led to was, you know, me being able to see how people with his kind of, um, you know, business intelligence and qualities worked without, you know, kind of the pressure of having to fit in. So we always had, you know, our store was where people met up. So, you know, Mark Waddles or, you know, whoever, you know, the senior vice presidents, whoever, you know, they all meet up at our store and they'd be having these conversations and I'd be at the you know, periphery of these, seeing how these people operated and it was, you know, and it was, you know, neat to see from an intellectual standpoint, but it was such an invaluable education as I, you know, advanced at the business in the business and actually had to go do those sort of things myself, um, to be able to see that without the pressure of it, you know, actually being in the, you know, the reporting relationship. So it was, it was, uh, it was a really neat way to see, um, see anyone. And of course it being Dave, that it was, um, uh, you know, obviously he's really good at it. So it was, it was especially valuable.
0: Well, you and I had something in common. We had, you and I both worked in the stores and as you know, that gave you a tremendous amount of credibility at Hollywood video. If, if you work, if you had worked in a store, Mark Waddles, that was it. That was, you, you were pretty much golden. Marshall Hawkins, Tim Benry. I mean, you know, yeah, you're in the buying office now, but he was very hard on people who had never spent time in the stores. Especially yeah. as a manager of a store. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I, you know, I, tr- I, uh, I do my best to hold on to the most, you know, to this positive memories. And I, I, I do remember. Um, this is actually when I was running the, the catalog department, one of the first things that I did was, do you remember when we made those, uh, we call them library stores where we took, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We took like 10 stores across the country and we loaded them with like 30,000 titles or something. Yeah. And I remember this was the, a week or two after Mark had come back to the company from that kind of that real.com. Yeah. sojourn. And, and I went in and I pitched this idea to him and he had a bunch of questions, but he, you know, he understood the basic economics, the catalog was like 90% margin. And if you could drive a bunch of business in that, it was really profitable and it was neat. And it spoke to the company's, you know, values and created this hub and spoke and all, all the good stuff. And, um, so I went in, did this pitch and he, you know, he had a lot of questions, um, and every, everybody else at the table was scared to say anything, I think at this point, (laughs) Um, and so he did the whole thing and he was complimentary and, you know, wanted to do the project. And then, um, I go back to my, my cubicle and I get a call five minutes later and he's, you know, stepped out of the big executive meeting to give me a call to tell me, um, uh, you know, how great the idea was. And, and I remember him mentioning, um, that that was the kind of thing he thought didn't happen unless you had, um, store experience. And I thought that was a, was a nice touch, and I also think it's true to your point.
0: Yeah, no, it, it absolutely at Hollywood. If you, I, I, it's why I lasted so long because I ran the hardest stores in the company, and I did it well. I, I remember Mark would bring in investors to the stadium store. Mark didn't care. Mark wanted those two doors that were in the parking garage opened all the time. <laughs> well, it was fucking cold, but I understood why he wanted them open, and. Every time Mark would show up, his stores would be, and that Dropbox would be spotless. And he just always go, I remember one time he came to the Beaverton store when we were buying Video Central. And Video Central didn't believe in Dropboxes. And uh, I can't remember the guy's name who was running Video Central at the time. He ended up going to Blockbuster. But um, him and Mark were touring stores. And they came into the Beaverton store. And, you know, the Beaverton store was doing a million, two, Back in the day. And um, it was a busy store. And Danny Vay is hammering tapes. And <laughs> that thing is happening. And Michael's on the front counter. And, you know, the wall. It, it, that place was just electric. And uh, Mark comes in. And I'm, I greet him. And I'm like, uh, he's like, hey, Tim. Show us your bathroom. I was like, what? <laughs> Walk into that bathroom, it was spotless. And cause I, it was, it's a thing of mine. It's a weird thing of mine, but you gotta have clean bathrooms. And if your bathrooms aren't clean, the rest of your operation isn't probably good. And, um, and so he's like, he shows the guy this and he goes, now take us out to the Dropbox. And we went out to the Dropbox and there was one tape in it. <laughs> and he goes, see, you just have to manage it right. Cause the guy's argument was you have these Dropboxes and then on Friday and Saturday nights, all your, va- all your money's in the Dropbox. If you can get the customer just to come into the store, and Mark was like, "No, it's got to be about convenience, and you've got to manage that Dropbox, knowing that there's revenue in that." And so you, and he goes, "Tim, how do you do this?" I go, "Well, we have a checklist, and our who's ever who's ever um, hammering every 15 minutes comes out and checks the Dropbox, and and it was self serving too, right? Because you always have all these customers asking for new releases, so you're always hoping to go out there and find some of them, so you could satisfy customers."
1: You know, that understanding that consumer experience, which I, I I agree. I mean, along the same line is 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 impossible unless you actually work in that um have experience in that operational line is actually, you know, it's beyond for me it carried beyond Hollywood video. I, you know, later after I left Hollywood video, I you know, I did some other things, but I ultimately went back into Uh, retail legacy media and I was in um, college uh, course materials, college bookstores um, for a while. And that was the same story there. I, you know, I, you know, being focused on what's actually happening inside of the store and then, you know, even today here, you know, 30 years down the line, um, you know, when we are building these self-interactive kiosks that we operate, um, you know, item number one for me when they, you know, start head before they head to the field, is sitting in front of them for a couple days, you know, banging away at them, and then bringing customers in to try to use them and understanding what that consumer uh, experience is, so that we can um, yeah, deliver that um, magical experience for people. It's mm-hmm. universal.
0: Well, and I will tell you, you know, uh, Mark was a master of that. I mean, it's why we didn't build uh, vestibules mark didn't want vestibules he wanted you to now it was a it was a loss prevention issue but he wanted it to just have these wide open doors where people could just walk in where it was very welcoming yep. um our whole our whole late fee philosophy um where blockbuster was very regimented and you had to fill out paperwork if you forgave it and you know we empowered csrs just to make that to make that call and um you know, it was a better place to work. It was uh, less of a police state. And I, I had the luxury of working for both because I spent three years at Blockbuster. So I, I knew the ins and outs of Blockbusters. And that's how I came to Hollywood. I mean, I ran the Tiger <laughs> store that was across the street from the Mark store. They all thought, Blockbuster thought Mark store was doing about 12,000. The Hollywood was doing about 12,000. Our little Hol- our little Blockbuster was doing nine. They put me there and they said, try to get it to 12. I got it to like fourteen. Well, that I didn't grow the market. That came from Mark's store. Yep. <laughs> and, and that's when they came over and said, "Hey, you want to come work for us?" And 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 lo and below. and then I come to work for Hollywood, and I find out the damn store is doing twenty six thousand dollars a week. <laughs> sure <laughs> enough, we did that. We grew the the, the Hollywood or the the the, the blockbuster. We blew, we grew that by taking away because. Hollywood was just way too busy. The problem with the, the Blockbuster is that a crappy store manager. It, the store was dirty. It wasn't well run. And as soon as we made it well run, and I worked every Friday and Saturday night, I would close my damn store. I would make sure that that experience, because that's when we had all our money. And then I had this amazing, amazing uh, 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 girl, I can't think of her name right now, who used to run my day shift and not only was she beautiful but she was great and people loved to the customers loved her and she kept the store really nice and we just slowly but surely i talked my district manager into getting more and more product and uh, next thing you know we were, we were we were smoking you know the business is easy i mean it really is it you know it's high transactions you're touching the product twice they're dirty you know, you have three consumers to, that do one transaction. Um, you know, they all come in clans and then they rent two movies. Um, that, but that was just the, the nature of the beast, right? So your stores got a lot of wear and tear. Um, and so there was a lot of cleaning and you had to keep your stores looking crisp. But I always felt that a video store was like a library, it always had to feel crisp, it always had to be clean. You've gone into video stores that are dirty and, mad. And, and, and I'm not saying there's a place for that in some of these very small specialty stores that you find in New York and back in the day, but for a commercial business, I think the organization and cleanliness was so key to the overall success of the store. Yep. There, here I go. I'll get on my, I'll get on my band uh, I, operations I, at I, Hollywood I, video.
1: I, 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 you know, I think that the, Hopefully the recording of this will last a hundred years. And, you know, when we actually try to explain to people that we used to walk into stores to buy physical media to take home, that they'll be fascinated with uh, with how the, uh, how this all worked.
0: Well, you know, I had a kid one time. I said, well, he said, what do you, I said, Hollywood video. He goes, Oh, tough business. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. I said, but I can remind you of something young man. American typewriter company used to have a senior vice president of operations. Yeah. Well, right?
1: it, you know, the, I, I remember, a another, uh, mentor I had who had told me the, the most exciting thing you'll do is build something up really quickly or tear it down. I mean, it was a little bit unfortunate. I experienced both of those with Hollywood, but it's, you know, there, it's hard to think of other concepts where, uh, people got to experience, you know, what we built, um in that industry at that point in time it was very exciting and the only way it happened is if we got a bunch of things right right i mean it was not just the you know buying the right product but as you say operating the stores correctly making sure the maintenance is happening and then, and a billion other things to make those things uh success so even though the video stores may not be there i think that accomplishment um Oh Always my God! Yes,
0: yeah. Fastest <clears throat> growing retailer in America. We grew at eighteen hundred percent every thirty six hours. Somewhere in America, a store was opening. It's a huge success story. Yeah. People ask me all the time, "Was it a success?" Yeah, hell yes, it was a yep. success. Yep. I mean, nobody else has done that. And then to to exit at one point two billion dollars, ah, yep. how many companies in Oregon have done that? Yep. <laughs> a handful. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I I think it was absolutely a success. So let me ask you this, Ben. (laughs) You know what I loved about it is the relationships and uh, the relationships that I still have today with people like yourself and people who have been on the podcast and just people who I'm I'm just friends with. But would have you ever thought when we were in one of those target meetings? Probably at odds with each other because I was representing ops and you were representing product and we never had enough product and you never bought it. Right. According to us. Right. Yeah. Um, And did you ever think you'd be standing in a cannabis field with me
1: during harvest? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, The world, the world has definitely changed, right? (laughs)
0: Right. So for my audience uh, that we were, we were, I I used to be the president of a cannabis company here in Oregon, and Ben and some of his colleagues were exploring the uh, uh, opportunity of putting robots in kiosks uh, that would dispense uh, cannabis uh, and cannabis products. And uh, I had invited them out to a tour uh, to see our, uh, we had a 40, 35 acre farm in Williams, Oregon, and uh, they had come out during. I believe it was harvest. It was either harvest or it was plant. It was sometime during the uh, production of the, and we were an outdoor farm. So we grew these huge monsters, you know, these 200 pound plants that were eight feet tall. Uh, This was not an indoor grow. This was, this was true farming. And I, uh, and, and Ben and your colleagues came out and there we are standing in a, uh, which couldn't be farther from a target meeting in Wilsonville, Oregon.
1: That was, um, one of the wildest experiences in business I've ever, um, had. Um, yeah, that, that, yeah, that again, talk about something that, um, grew quickly. That was, um, you know, that trade has been neat. And then the, the machine that we built actually, which we did, we, we didn't ultimately end up, um, launching in Oregon, but we did launch the, uh, first, legally approved cannabis dispensing self-interactive kiosk in Colorado, um, with that same, uh, machine. So oh, really? yeah, oh, great. it was now the the thing that Tim is not talking about with this is the unfortunate beginning of this story where, um, I went to a meeting at Tim's office to pitch this idea and unfortunately parked my car and it, ho zone.
0: Oh, that's right. With,
1: with my dogs inside of it, and my walked out of the pitch meeting, and my car and my dogs are gone. So, for you know, advice for uh, future uh, entrepreneurs: do not get your car towed uh, when you're trying to pitch a potential uh, client.
0: Well, and, and that was pre-pandemic when they enforced yeah. parking rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your car could sit there for ten years now. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I thought you were going to bring up that the, the, uh, probably one of the first business. Well, I don't know. You'd talk to a couple cannabis companies, but, yeah. um, I remember we were all in that room and we we're talking. And, you know, it, it's colorful language in the cannabis business when you're yeah. talking about, you know, purple haze and mind fuck and this and that and all these strains. And, uh, I remember it was very, uh, it was very colorful language, uh, a very different kind of uh a business meeting for sure.
1: Well, yeah, but you still get, you know, one yeah. of the things that I like most about what we do now, and I said we, you know, we we are the best part about our business and the bulk of it is finding excited, motivated entrepreneurs who wanna, you know, who wanna build out their dream. And you know, in there, I haven't been in a field where you, you know, you couldn't find those, whether or not it was Mark Waddles building a video store chain or, you know, Tim Winter and his company building out, um, you know, the cannabis business, you had that, you know, excited group of team, you know, that team who was a hundred percent into whether or not I need to grow more mind or <laughs> Durban poison or, you know, whatever it is. And they, yeah. you know focused on uh, on building that. and that's that's what I you know I'm not a I don't have a degree in business. I'm not you know, accounting first. um so you know what's exciting for me is having those conversations with those you know, highly motivated and yeah you know, people regardless of what their you know their ultimate venture is,
0: yeah. when you get a group of like-minded people, I've always said this, you get a a group of and that was really the the power and the strength of Hollywood. Mm. there was a group of like-minded people who who believed that we were hollywood we are entertainment and you bled you know you bled the purple you just did um and 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 that is what was so exciting about being in that workforce in that workplace at that time it was a very special time for sure and and i agree with you i you know i have since left hollywood and been involved in nonprofit organizations and been involved in, uh, uh, software development and, and cannabis and, uh, music education. And, and, you know, all of those experiences are so what I love most about it are the teams of people who are passionate about whatever it is we're building or whatever it is that we're doing. And then that creativity to create that is, is it's intoxicating.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And I, you know, back to where this you know, this particular conversation started about, you know, relationships and what I've imagined this, I will tell you that the, (laughs) um, all of the things that I've done since Hollywood have had direct connections to my Hollywood relationship. So I left Hollywood and started a, uh, a firm that dealt in distressed retail goods. And that two of the, you know, the partners in that business were ex Hollywood people. Um, and then I went on to, uh nebraska book company which i mentioned a little bit and that was based on the strength of a recommendation from somebody i'd worked with um at hollywood and um one of my business partners today for the last seven or eight years is a uh, you know is a former you know colleague at, at yeah. hollywood media so those things um you know i don't know if i had started working at you know mcdonald's or rite aid you know early on whether or not i'd still have those you know early, um, relationships was that's definitely driven, you know, all of my, uh, career direction.
0: Yeah. What really drove it was that alignment. And in the early days, Mark was really good about, and really it was Frank Salek who drew that, but it was about alignment and we had really great alignment. And if you, if you weren't aligned at Hollywood, you didn't last very long. I mean, you yeah. could see that happen very, very quickly. So yep. let me ask you this: So you've been in a leadership role. We've we've been talking, you know, w- gosh, we're old men, and we're talking like in terms of not two or three years. We're talking in terms of decades. Right. Um, but has your has your has your philosophy about leadership changed? Yeah, from when you were to to what you're seeing today, or where where you're at, has has that changed been?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I I like this question. I mean, to your point, I mean, when I started at hollywood i was you know 22 i guess um (laughs) you know i um i've gravitated towards management my whole career so i mean i was we even went back when i was in college i was the you know assistant manager at the video store and then i you know did store manager i'm fundamentally a um i think an analyst first and the uh, the intentionality around the the people skills part of this, which is necessary for leadership, is not something that's sort of my natural. Uh, sorry about that. Oh. So my is not sort of my natural um, lean. So, you know, for me, um, what's happened over the course of my career is um, trying to figure out how to Ah, uh, develop that intentionality around you know what the the people first portion of leadership, which is you know probably the most important um, component, actually is. So, you know, kind of drag myself away from the uh, you know analytics first and have a better understanding for um, you know what the the people part of the business is. And there's <clears throat> it's probably a good you know set of things to talk about with you know how. Uh, Dave helped with that. But I think for me as my, you know, what I could definitely feel as my career went along was, um, you know, early on, it was very much a matter of me sort of personally outworking whatever problem faced me. So, you know, okay, I'm the store manager and my assistant manager gets sick. I'm okay. I'm going to work, you know, 60 hours this week instead of 50, right? That's the way I solve that problem. And, you know, I get to the corporate office and I've got a, you know, an intractable, you know, analysis problem Well, I'm going to go, you know, take a, a statistics class at PCC so I can, you know, muscle my way through that. When ultimately what happened was, you know, the lesson that I had to rely more and more on, you know, other people doing this because there's just a limit to the amount of you know internal horsepower you can throw at something which again not say it's not valuable to you know be the operator and go you know get their hands dirty and do all those things Um, but being able to uh, motivate people um, to do that and you know that happened progressively throughout my career at you know Hollywood you know ultimately you know when I was know the senior vice president of merchandising i was never the guy making the decision about how to you know allocate a product or you know do the actual um buying but had a strong team of people um that i had to keep motivated and that you know stepped up even further when i you know was at nebraska books and i was uh you know ultimately the ceo of this company and you know, what I learned is as CEO, I mean, I might be able to go out and work in the warehouse or in stores, but I was doing none of the work. Um, you know, I, you know, I had to, uh, make sure that I had, um, the right people. So my, you know, thoughts about leadership, I think started as zero thoughts about leadership and have really sort of, um, changed certainly in terms of the importance and then how to actually, you know, achieve that through, you know, driving some amount of, uh, of intentionality that I think I otherwise wouldn't have had. And it's funny when we talk about Dave, like clearly he got the people first part of that, right? That was an intentional thing that came, I think it came naturally to him. It was very good. And it's not to say that he didn't have all the other parts, you know, the, you know, the analytics and everything. But, you know, when I go back and look at people who are, you know, I would think of as... Uh, important role models and those qualities that I would want to um, you know, figure out how to mimic. And I think about people leadership and I think about the Dave Sackos and Tim Winters and Mark Brands of the world, right? The, yeah. you know, who do that really well.
0: Uh, I appreciate that. And I, I, you know, again, I know Dave thought the world of you and he appreciated your intellect. And uh, I think he appreciated watching you grow. I, I think he always took a a certain amount of pride in your success, <laughs> you know, starting as a, cause I remember when I, I, now that, you know, that we're bringing all this up, I, you know, I, I, remember Dave saying, you know, I hired Ben Rixby as an assistant manager. Um, I, I remember that. I, I, I don't know why I didn't connect those dots, but yeah, I know he always thought the world of you. Well, that's, um, you know, what's great about what you just described is that's a wonderful journey of leadership. And you know, obviously, you're super smart, so you figured it out. But you'd be surprised, Ben, how many people don't figure it out. They're still banging their head against the wall. And uh, it's really, really heartening to hear that story of your journey, and uh, and how you tried to do it all, and then you realized you had to do it through people, and that requires people skills. And it requires them to, you know, and in, in my consulting practice, it's it's the four pillars of leadership. It's You've got to have a vision, people. You know the word "lead." Where are you leading me? Where are you taking me? Are we building a national brand? What are we doing? Uh, you have to be able to communicate it. Communication has to be authentic. It has to be real. It has to be consistent. And then you have to self-manage, which is where most people fail. And then you have to—I call it positioning—but it's surround yourself. Three's, you know. Uh, Nines and tens will not work for threes and fours. Mm-hmm. And some people hate when I say that. I don't know a nicer way to say it. So you want to work with great people. And, you know, I think people never realize this, that when you're interviewing someone, they're interviewing you as much as you're interviewing them. Yeah. <laughs> and do I, can I see this person taking me? I tell people, I coach people that all the time. When you're interviewing, don't interview for the job. Interview for the person you're working with. Going to be working for, like, what do you are you going to? Is this person going to get you where you want to be? Because that's the job of a leader. That's the job of your boss, is to help you grow. If they're putting you in a box and trying, that's going to be a a really hard job. Yeah, for a long time. So, thank you for sharing that journey. I think that's that's, um, well, it doesn't surprise me, but uh, it's uh, it's really cool to hear. Uh, to hear you say that, so so, Ben, you've worked for amazing companies. You've done some amazing things. Um, it's It's interesting because a lot of especially a lot of your work at Hollywood went unnoticed because it wasn't flashy. It was but it drove margin, and it it was important to the mechanics of the business. I always got to be on the other side of it, which was all openings of new stores and celebrations and getting up on stage and you know celebrating my team and at national conferences and things like that but so a lot of your work uh you know was behind the scenes but so so vital to uh, the importance of the organization and the growth of the organization so you've worked for some amazing companies you've listed them you've done some what are you most proud of if you had to look back today what are you most proud of
1: well, and it's kind of work-related. I mean, I guess the first thing I have to mention is I, I met my my wife and I, who just had our 20th anniversary last summer. Congratulations. She, I think, like you, we actually met at Hollywood. She yeah. uh, She uh, she worked there. We've got – so, you know, that's fantastic. And we have a, a 16-year-old son. So, you know, I mean, that uh, certainly came out of my work experiences. I, I think otherwise you're kind of asking me to pick my – Favorite child. I mean, fortunately, I only have one, but um, <laughs> maybe I'll hedge a little bit here. And I, there were a lot of things that I was you know, proud of what we built at Hollywood. I think. The thing that and, and this is definitely behind the scenes and it's um, it's going to sound really nerdy, but, you know, we. We really cracked the code before anyone else on how the shift from sort of traditional buying to revenue sharing at studios. Yeah. So, you know, the old model was you would, you, the video store, would buy a VHS cassette for a hundred bucks from the studio and you would try to buy enough so that it was rented, you know, continuously for eight or nine weeks or whatever. And then we, we, um, you know, to Mark Waddles and Bruce Giesbrick's credit, you know, approached the studios about this concept with revenue sharing, which we, you know, pioneered. And I think Blockbuster jumped on quickly about, um, you know, give us, give us a lot more product, but, um, you know, we'll do it on a, you know, some minimum guarantee and some, you know, amount of money up front. And it really added, you know, it added five or six different layers of variables to the equation and understanding how you are going to best satisfy consumer, um, demand and then balance that with profitability required a lot of, tricky math and statistics and, you know, testing work. And, you know, as you know, i fundamentally, am an analyst, everything that I, you know, do, even if it's, you know, again, being the CEO of a company, I, you know, I try to look at it through an analytical lens. And that was my first really big experience of a, you know, coming up with a solution. And, you know, today there are you know, pieces of software that can do all that for you. But I'll tell you, you know, I think the, the funniest example in here was when we were first starting to work on this and we had to, we were trying to come up with a way to organize, you know, what, like titles. So this title is like that one. And we, we, the product department ended up buying a piece of software that somebody was selling to do. It was, it was designed for goat breeding. <laughs> so you put in different, you know, qualities of what a goat, you know, you go to have blue eyes or it was this, you know, species or whatever. And we ended up using that as, you know, like title management, the the goat herding, as we we ended up calling it. But, we, you know, we we transferred that into sophisticated math, and it worked. And that was, you know, that, so I'm certainly, um, um, I'm really proud of that moment. And then, obviously, I've had some other, you know, bigger picture, you know, successes as I moved into, you know, managing, you know, larger companies. But that was, that's one that really sort of sticks out to me as early and sort of set the tone for the, the rest of my career.
0: Well, it's a fantastic example because, and and thank you for sharing. Because I I never knew about the software, the goat herding. Um, I um, you know, and and it touched so many people's lives, and they don't even know it touched that. What that project you were working on touched so many people's lives because it fundamentally changed the experience in the retail store. Suddenly, there were one hundred and twenty copies of the new release, not sixteen.
1: Yeah, you know, anybody who was, who was at Hollywood who's listening to this now is going, Oh my God, they were using goat herding software.
0: <laughs> Are they going to say, Of course, they were using goat herding software. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, uh, well, I I think that is a proud moment. I, I, I had no idea. I had always thought that Rent Track was kind of the pioneer of that model. And we tried to kind of push them out of the relationship with the studios and go direct.
1: So there, there were, um, there were earlier sort of, uh, versions of that and rent track uh, studios had a direct participation in, in rent track. And I think actually, you know, we could probably pick up the phone get, you know, the Kevin Haslins of the world on here for the, you know, (laughs) the blow blow by blow. But, you know, as that really exploded, it was, you know, I think we were sort of leading what that, yeah. That ultimately. And we quickly shifted to that model. All the studios got on it in a, you know, in a hurry. Um, and, and, but the really sort of figuring out the math behind all of that, um, was really, I think, yeah, yeah. Just in terms of accomplishment was the sort of the, the, the neat part.
0: Well, and then how we were going to track it to keep the integrity, to keep the studios happy.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Was the miss was the miss in that whole thing in your when you look at it back when you look at it today was the miss the glut of PV that there just wasn't there was just going to be too
1: much PV. Well, I, I'm not sure what you mean by miss. I mean, I think, you know, when I think about this as, you know, again, put my operator hat on here, you know, am I making the customer happy, you know, I think having that revenue share out there on the front side for the rental was was a big win. And well, I guess
0: know- not, not. a miss and an unintentional consequence of the, of of having that much uh, uh, consumer satisfaction.
1: I, well, yeah, I you know I think, and this is you know the whole reason that this revenue sharing worked was when you looked at that cassette. So the, they're initially selling that thing for a hundred dollars, right?
0: Right.
1: It cost them. 60 cents to actually manufacture the, the the tape, right? So all of that charge that the studio is putting out there, it, it's all the intellectual property and everything that's behind that, right? So revenue sharing was just logical for them that, you know, the actual tangible value of this was, you know, was way too high and that, you know, they could, frankly, they could afford to throw the the, the tapes away at the end if they wanted to, right? I mean, the 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 pv stream of that was at the end of the day i guess bonus for them and it was a little messy for us to deal with right you know as a store operator you ended up with you know back rooms and tables and trays and warehouses full of the things right um so i you know i I think life would have been a little bit easier if we had you know studios had wanted to destroy more of that stuff at the end of the day which they did ultimately do i mean i think you know towards the end of you know as we got along in revenue sharing the concept of destruction came in and we did ship a lot of stuff back to studios or recyclers to to get rid of
0: yeah okay so i i guess not a miss so that was just i just i probably speaking from an operational and i'm sure people have seen the youtube videos of them yeah.
1: smashing discs behind the
0: you know the blockbuster and stuff yeah, that's. Uh,
1: I mean, we had, especially when it was VHS and it was really big. I mean, I remember having those. It eight foot long, tray card table things. Oh yeah, backed you know twenty deep. But you know that's not. It's not a pretty sight.
0: And twelve trays underneath it. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> all that whole thing. So, so who's out there? <clears throat> who's out there? Who do you admire today? Like from a leadership standpoint, or do you follow anybody? Is there anybody that you?
1: It's a good, yeah, I, uh, it's interesting, you know, like I told you, I'm not, uh, I, I wish I was, you know, kind of a little more involved in sort of, you know, this broader business people. I will tell you, um, I'll give you two answers actually. So first of all, like I mentioned, you know, one of the things that I like most about, the business that I'm in now is I get to meet people who aren't established, but are excited and have the strength to build their, their product and their business. And, you know, I meet a lot of these people, whether or not they want to build uh, cannabis kiosks or pizza kiosks. we're doing, we're actually doing work right now for a company called, um, I tattoo and they have a self-interactive uh, spray on body art concept. Um, which is neat. The funny part about this is when we first got the call on this, all they told us was that they wanted to have a a tattoo kiosk, and we were all kind of looking at each other, like, "Do they mean with needles?" <laughs> um, but it it turned out to be spray on. But the guy, um, the the CEO of this company, the leader of this company, who is very exciting and electric, reminds me a lot of kind of you know Mark Waddles, very much bootstrapped. He lives in. South Carolina, um, he's done a lot of different things with his career, but he's kind of as a sideline business does, um, spray on, uh, tattoos at, you know, like the, the beach resorts and, the restaurants yeah. around Myrtle beach. And he is so invested in this concept. He's been doing that for like 15 or 20 years. He's got this great idea for a machine. He built a beta on his own and he's not like an engineer. Um, That actually does this, um, this application. So meeting somebody like this, who's so, you know, he understands, you know, he certainly doesn't, you know, he needs, you know, he brought us on because, you know, we can build a very good machine. We've got a lot of experience with, you know, supply chain and building the business intelligence around, you know, all the things you would need to to, to build that into a, you know, business. But he's got that sort of fundamental, he knows what's, you know, what it is in that business that pleases the customer. And he's always able to come in with that. And those are the, you know, those are the kind of people um, that I really admire the most, right, when in business. And I get to, it's nice that I get to see them and, you know, interact with them um, every day. Um, oh,
0: it's it, inspirational, it, huh?
1: Yeah, it, it, it really is.
0: To have that kind of energy around, a you know, yeah. a, and a passion.
1: Yeah. So when you're, next time you go to, you know, again, we'll get this thing launched and you go to a Blazers game and get a big Blazers, you know, tattoo on your face or something like that. Um, you think about, um, this guy in South Carolina, who's, you know, toiled for 10 or 15 years, to get the gods on wow. the ground.
0: Well, what a, oh, I never thought about that. Like that, that's like, yeah. Yeah. Like at
1: the, so like face painting. Yeah, it'll do. I mean, um, <laughs> You can put it anywhere on your body you want. Okay. Um, you just got to get that body part on the side of the machine. Um, it'll. Um, you're welcome to go out and it's, you know, there's a, you know, we've got a nice, not to, not to plug my products too much, but there's a, you know, it's got a good, uh, there's a good website. You can see what the machine um, looks like, but it's, uh, yeah, no, it does. um body art. There's a whole bunch of different applications, you know, whether or not it's at you know, the, you know, ball winkles with the kids to, yeah, you know, yeah. with a star on or, you know, the sports arenas or, you know, um, whatever it is, it's a really neat concept. It's a great, it's a great use of the um, self-interactive robotic technology in the, there's a, um, there's a certain amount of skill that's required to apply these things. Um, so the labor to do it is fairly expensive and you can just package it in a uh you know a two by two you know square machine and it's um uh you know put them wherever you want move them around from event to event have them at festivals or concerts or whatever so it's neat,
0: it's neat so you have an MVP, you have an mp yeah. that's working
1: yeah. yeah oh wow yeah
0: oh cool okay anyway, what's the website i'm curious now i think it, the audience it, would be curious it's
1: itattoo.life i believe okay um you know we're 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 always juggling a lot of kind of you know things i think this is a neat concept that we're doing a lot of work on right now but the you know just wanted to highlight in terms of again back to you know who you admire it's you know it's the it's the business leaders that i get to to meet these days in terms of kind of you know broader you know thought leaders this is again going to be kind of edge nerdy but um uh there's a A guy by the name of Stephen Few that I really like uh, does um, data visualization. I think, you know, I haven't really talked about it a whole lot, but, you know, a lot of what I've done is um, developing business intelligence um, capability. And I have a a guilty pleasure for data visualization. And I'm not exactly awesome at it myself, but I always appreciate a good one. And this is a guy who is, you know, kind of like me, is self-taught. And what he does now is um, tour the country and teaches... um, data visualization techniques he's got a lot of good books out there does some uh online um you know you can find him on youtube giving you know really solid grounded uh common sense um uh, basis for how you do different kind of visualizations things that you you know avoid how that you know what's interesting to me is how sort of you know human evolution has made us see certain things in different ways it's just kind of neat stuff so a couple examples for you
0: yeah that's that's fantastic. I you know, and it's one, again, it's one of those things that you really, really appreciate, but I don't know if you appreciate how much goes into it yeah as an executive, I really appreciate <laughs> that I, you know, yeah. I I'd be honest, I'm not a hundred percent sure I know what goes into it yeah. um well ben, uh you have been a great guest. I, I I could talk to you all day long. Uh, I mean, reminiscing, you've made me think about things that I haven't thought about in a long time. And I know that there's a certain amount of following of this podcast of Hollywood people. So I hope that they enjoyed uh, the, the walk down memory lane to, to think about some of those things and to maybe learn some nuggets that, because I certainly learned some nuggets. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, so I really, really appreciate that. But Given that it is the what would Dave Do podcast, and given your relationship with with Dave, do you have a, a a thought, a memory, a favorite story um about Dave that you would like to share?
1: Yeah, you know, um I mean I hate to go out on a somber note, and I should, you know, say that it's it's okay you know it's
0: it's a celebration it's not a song yeah
1: like i said i had a bazillion (laughs) you know i saw dave a lot um but you know ever since his passing i remember you know when i first heard about it the the first reaction i had was i remember that i remember standing behind this cash wrap um and he's standing in front of me kind of typical the thing where I'm you know behind the cash wrap and he walks in and he notices something and he's going to tell me about it. Right. <laughs> um, and, and our, you know, the actual operating relationship, I'm certainly, you know, for Hollywood video and pushing the edges a little bit. So like, um, you know, he's, why is this foreign section or, you know, you hired this person who has a piercing or whatever. And I, I'd hired this guy who turned out to be a great assistant manager, ultimately ran stores and he had long hair, which was a little bit of a, thing for Dave, but this sort of representative thing, um, that Dave said in that sort of scenario was he was always like, I, I want to, I want, I want to live to walk my daughters down the aisle. And I, I remember, um, when he died, that was the, I remember that exact time that he said that to me and I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't even know the answer to whether or not that was, you know, we ever got to do that. And I don't think the answer really matters. Um, but that was definitely the way the, the, the sadness that I felt, you know, manifested. And that's, I think, you know, reasonable. That's, that's what happens. Um, it's a good reminder that, you know, we have, we have limited time. Um, there are other things other than business that are more important. I know he was saying that in a joking manner, but you know, it's a good, it's a good reminder. And I, I owe, you know, Dave, everything from a business standpoint. I mean, I worked hard and I was you know lucky and good, but you know, he, you know, got me on that path to success and, and I should be sad, um, that he's gone and that those are the things that you you might miss out on. So again, I hate to leave on a somber note because we, you know, it was a very positive relationship, but that was, a, that was, I, you know, I know for you and a lot of other people, definitely, uh, uh, sad impact that he's gone.
0: Yeah, it, 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 there, it is a sad impact. And, you know, I, I, it's one of the the reasons for this podcast is to, is to continue to always remember and to celebrate. And I think I, I shared with you, my biggest fear is that I would forget him. Um, and I wanted to figure out a way to make sure I didn't. And, uh, and now with this, uh, with this podcast, I say his name every day. I talk about him every day. Sometimes I'm driving down the freeway and, um, I'll look over to the seat and I'll say, what do you think? Um, what, what what did you think of that show? Or am I am I doing this right? Uh is is this honoring you or are you embarrassed as hell? And um no, I think that's a beautiful memory. And I, you know, I think it touches on so many things that were Dave. His family was everything to him and those girls were, were everything to him. Sam and Sid were, it was his world and they're, they're beautiful and they're wonderful and they're, they're, they're thriving, uh, the best that they can given everything that's happened, but they're, they're, they're taking the positive side of it and you know, they're, they're beautiful and, and wonderful spirits and wonderful human beings. So I think your memory is, uh. It, it, for me, it encapsulates I mean, here you might be talking about an employee you're talking about an issue, but what was important to Dave and his willingness to share that with you. Yeah. And a lot of leaders will not be that humble and humility and leadership because it gave you an instant connection and now 30 30, some years later, you you remember that impact. and I think that's something for all leaders to remember that you know, be everything you say is being listened to. Yeah, And don't ever take your responsibility as a leader lightly because it's an awesome responsibility. And, and you, that just illustrates it. This is 30 years ago. You remember that conversation and yeah. him saying that. So, uh, I don't think it's somber. I think it's beautiful. I think, uh, it's, uh, clearly you had a very special relationship with them and, and I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to jump on this show and, and just talk. I think he, if, if Dave was in the corner, listening, he's giggling, um, of some of these stories and he'd have his own, uh, that he would, uh, that he would, you know, log in and, uh, our lob into the conversation. It's what I always loved about Dave. What I always loved about Dave was Dave would, Dave would tee him up, but he, would, he never would really say them sometimes he would tee him up. And, uh, and he would giggle like a little girl uh, and just think it was so funny uh, because he just had that, that beautiful spirit. Uh, and that, I don't know for if you remember, but I'm sure you do that, that smile. Yep. And, you know, and especially when things are like when something was really good in a store. Yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, it's like he got a new bike. Um, he had that playfulness and that joy. So, uh, Ben, uh, listen, I appreciate you. Uh, going deep on that one and and uh, and being brave and, and sharing. So I think it's beautiful. I don't think it's true. I think it's beautiful. And uh, I, I really, really appreciate you sharing. And I really appreciate you being on the show. And uh, I, I am so thankful that all these years later, even though we've had our differences, Ben, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I remember I sold a million dollars worth of PVs and it cost the company $2 million, but I... <laughs> And you could not get it through my head. <laughs> and I had rank over you. So I got to shut you down.
1: Yeah, well, that's <laughs> and, uh, the way it works. I would, uh, I love talking with you always, Tim. So I, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity. And I, I especially appreciate you uh, keeping Dave's uh, memory alive for all of us. Cause that was, uh, it was tough to see him go, but I, I definitely like thinking about those days. Yeah. It's wonderful.
0: Hey, my friend, have a wonderful holiday season with your family and, uh, and give my best to your family. And, uh, and thank you again for being on the show and take care. Thank you Tim. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.